Hello and welcome to the River and Panhandle's weekly podcast. We are so excited that you are tuning in for this week's message. Before we get started, there are a few things that we would love for you to do. Share it, subscribe, and rate the podcast. So the message is about to begin. We hope that you are encouraged and that you always remember, no role is insignificant. Every life matters and go out and make a difference. Psalms, and so I'd like to continue to do that this morning. And so, if you have your Bibles, uh, turn over to Psalms 144, and that's what we're going to be talking about this morning: is going through the Psalms. If you don't know a lot about the Psalms, it's a great testimony of of man going to God and God coming down to meet man. And any feeling, any place you've ever been in the world. Psalms will cover that feeling, cover that emotion, cover that problem you're going through. Most of the Psalms were written by King David, who was a king over Israel, a very successful king. And so what you have is a lot of poetry in there that he came up with. And it's not just poetry, it's actual words that he brought into his life and then brought out to the people. It's also got some stuff in there from his musicians. David was the very first king to ever, ever very first person to ever have a uh, worship band. I mean, he had a thousand people that would play drums, sing on harps, and sing songs. And so some of that stuff is recorded in Psalms. And so it's not just King David. It's other people testifying about how great God is and what he did in their lives. There's also some stuff in there from Moses. And so it's a very great collection of, once again, man going to God and God coming back down. And a great testimony in that. So before we dive off into that platform, I'd just like to pray with you. Dear Heavenly Father, we just thank you for this chance to be in your house this morning amongst fellow believers, and we just want to speak life over them as they hear this message that whatever I bring, Lord, comes straight from you into them, Father, and emboldens them in their walk with you, emboldens them to live a life that reaches up to you and you reach down to them wherever they're at this morning, Father. We just ask that prayers will be answered that passion will be reignited, and that love will be felt from you straight back down into the river and panhandle. I want to thank you for all those who are gathered here today, and just this chance just to even be up here, God. We just praise you and thank you in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. Amen. So once again, thank you for making the choice to be here today. Thank you for coming wherever you're coming from, whether it's the mountain or football games. It's nice to see our football teams doing so good, and we just continue to speak blessings over our children as they go out there into the fields. And, and we just ask you to continue to just, just to cheer them on, because life is good when we're all fighting and, and cheering each other on. And that's kind of what's going on in Psalms 144. And kind of the title of this morning's message is The Rebellion. It's 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 crazy to me that we, and it's nothing new. I mean, Solomon says this, David, Solomon was David's son. There's nothing new under the sun. Nothing new. Everything you see coming at you in the news, everything you see surrounding our schools, everything that you see surrounding your families, there's nothing new under the sun. And that's the reason it's great to have the Bible, because it takes you through those places. Even though there's not step-by-step diagrams, you can see people living out lives the exact same way that we live out life today and encountering God in ways we never thought before. And so Psalms 144 is something I picked up back in 2020 coming out of the COVID. 
you know, if you, if you think back and you remember back during the COVID, we'd only, we'd not only had this pandemic coming upon us, but we also had those battles of vaccinations, mask, and shutdown. So the world was just in chaos with this whole idea of death staring us at the, in the face and sickness staring at us in the face. But then we also had to argue about it, right? And so also during that same time, we had the I can't breathe thing pop up. We had law enforcement and, and the African-American community all of a sudden battling head to head. And back then, I worked for the Potter County Sheriff's Office. And so automatically, and I, I'm not asking for sympathies or anything like that, automatically, since I was wearing a uniform, some of those people coming through the back door, I, I was a bad guy. All of a sudden, I was the bad guy. And since I was white, yeah, yeah, just throw all the cards off the floor. I mean, it was horrible for law enforcement back then. Even worse, I had a black officer who worked with me. And they saw him in uniform, and he was automatically the devil. I mean, they just poured, I mean, not everybody, but some people just poured hate out on him. And so there was all this hate during that time, and all this, how are we going to figure this out, and how are we going to make life better, and how are we going to keep advancing? And so in that struggle, I picked up Psalms 144, because if I was going to battle that battle successfully, I had to do it God's way. If I was going to walk in those places and bring Jesus with me, I had to get some Jesus on me. In fact, this weekend, one of the guys said, if you're going to call yourself a Christian, you're going to have to get some Christ on you. And it's true. If we're going to call ourselves Christian, we better get some Jesus Christ in us. Because those battles couldn't turn out the way I wanted them to. I mean, it's easy for me to walk up to somebody talking trash and, you know, lay the smack down, even though I'm not Scott Sims. I could, I could hurt a guy, maybe. But, but I, I can't just do that in the flesh, and so I've got, to, I've got to put my flesh out there in a way that not only promotes the kingdom, but also back then promoted the uniform I was wearing. And it's no different with being a Christian. You, we don't have a specific uniform, but we have it in our heart if we're, if we're doing things right. And so I've got to live a way that embraces people's fears, embraces people's ideas, and, and, and invites Christ into that situation. And so Psalms 144 is where I picked that up. And as we read through some of these verses, I, I think you'll understand why. And it's, a, it's only 15 verses, but if there's a lot of words, there's no verses. So we're going to try to get through this as much as we can. But it's a beautiful place to sit down and realize that you were meant for more. That you are more. It's not that you have this grand purpose in front of you. God puts you on this earth and he, he gave you certain ways to go about life that's going to make this world a better place. And so if you have your Bibles, Psalms 144, we'll start there at the top. David says, Blessed be the Lord my rock, who trains my hands for war and my fingers for battle. My loving kindness and my fortress, my stronghold and my deliverer, my shield in whom I take refuge, who subdues my people under me. O oh Lord, what is man that you take knowledge of him, or the son of man that you think of him? Man is like a mere breath, his day is like a passing shadow. So as you see, David, he, he, he stops there. It's like he's got an immediate plea. Something's on his mind. He needs God to intervene right now. There is something going on in his life where he needs God. God, I'm only a man. I don't have this infinite thing that you got. I'm only on this earth for a little while, and I need you to come into play in this situation. The great thing about Psalms is there's no details about why it was written. We don't have any backstory. We don't have any, hey, this is why David said this. We just have to take it at face value. At face value, David was fighting a battle, and he needed God to intervene. How many times in our life is that just a situation, whether it's a good situation or a bad situation? You got a business deal you got to make. Maybe you got family strife that you want to end. Or maybe, you know, you got a heart that's torn up and you need God to sew that back together. 
Same thing here with David in 144. Now here's where the rebellion comes in. <clears throat> I'm going to God for my solutions. A lot of books out there that will tell you, well, if you do this, if you follow X, Y, Z, you'll get these results. If, if you come down here and, and you all of a sudden pick up these, these other theologies, these other ideas, you know, you'll be a successful human being. It's like we learned this weekend, over the weekend, you know, I, I'm a man. I, I've seen a lot of examples about how to be a man, but I'm not very good at it sometimes. And so I can try this, but that didn't turn me into a man. I can try this, that didn't turn me into a man. At what point do I go to God and say, God, what does it, what does it look like to be a man? And here's David showing me how. I think it's a beautiful testimony also that David went to God and God answered. David's life was filled with strife. Some of the choices he made, once again, we can, Jesus and I are going to have to talk about why he was the most beloved, but some of the choices he made caused that strife. Some of it was just you know, dumb luck, and some of it was just being a king, and some of it was because people didn't take care of business. It's this little known fact that David became king 400 years after they'd crossed into the promised land. 400 years. And, and if you remember back how David came into prominence was he walked out onto the battlefield and there was a big giant, right? That giant was a Philistine. One of the commandments that God gave the Hebrew people was you go and you push out the people. This is your land. Push them out. But here was David as a young man, and the Philistines were still inside Israel. In fact, if you turn over to uh, 2 Samuel 5, they haven't even conquered Jerusalem yet. Jerusalem is the capital of Israel. It, 400 years had gone by, and they'd stopped short. God had given them this promise, said, here's the promised land, and they said, well, you know... I like this, or I got busy, or, you know, you know, I didn't have the strength. I got tired today. They didn't push on through. And so was, here was David 400 years later having to fight the Philistines. And if you'll remember when David faced off with Goliath, who was a Philistine, the Philistines said, hey, you beat Goliath and we'll skin out of here. Guess what didn't happen? They didn't get out of there. They still controlled Jerusalem. So in 2 Samuel 5, David has two battles with the Philistines. It's pretty miraculous. And we'll talk about that here in a little bit. But the main point I want to get across here today is if God gives you a promise, if God tells you to do something, do it. Because what happens if your great, 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 great grandkids have to fight that battle? That's a, that's a battle David should never have to fight. That was a, and it wasn't just David. He had a whole army with him. Those were sons Sons and fathers going out to battle an enemy that they should never have to fight. My dad is here with me this morning. He brought me this handkerchief. It's my grandpa's. He's got a beautiful story, and I wish I wish I, my grandfather was here to tell me this story. But he's got this story about how they were in Wichita Falls, and they were sitting at the at the, at the bedside of their great grandma, their their grandmother, and. And she was dying. Now, it's nothing unusual for a grandma to be dying, but she wasn't dying from old age. She was dying from alcoholism. Now, I'm not talking about a couple drinks here and a couple drinks there. I'm talking about a full-blown addiction, an addiction that had ravaged our family. It had taken people. It had taken land. It had taken money. It wiped out generations of our people from succeeding. And so here was my grandfather and his brother, my uncle, 
watching their grandmother die from it. Now, these were men who came through the greatest generation. They had been in World War II. They knew what evil could do. They saw Hitler. They saw Japan come over and destroy things. And so they knew what evil looked like. And they got down on their knees and they said, God, if you'll remove this from our generations, if you'll take this plague off of our houses, we will serve you. We will make sure that our kids know about you. We will make choices different than they did if you will just take this plague off our house. Alcohol has tried to rear its head in my family in that line several times, but it hasn't won it. We haven't suffered any of that because these two men got down on their knee, battle-hardened World War II veterans got down on their knees in the hospital and said, Dear God, if you will do something, we will change our generations forever. And that's what David's doing here. He's, he's taking up that promise and saying, you told us to do this, and we're going to do this. It's a battle they should have never had to fight. If you look over there in 2 Samuel 5, a couple things happen. David goes and talks to God. He says, God, do you want me to hit them from the front? Will you give them into my hands? And I'm paraphrasing here, so forgive me. And, and God actually answers him and says, yes, if you go before them and attack them, I will put them in your hand. And sure enough, that's what happened. A couple of verses later, the same thing happens. The Philistines still aren't chased out of, uh, out of uh, Israel. And so here's David and his mighty men. Once again, God, will I attack them from the front? Will you give me the battle? And, and God answers David and says, no, I want you to circle behind. I want you to circle behind, and when you hear, go back to the balsam trees down there, and when you hear the wind coming through those trees, that's your cue to attack. Not only is that your cue to attack, know that that's my army. That's, this is God talking to David. That's my army going before you to scatter the enemy. That was God's audible voice in David's ears, and that was David being obedient and asking God for these victories in these wars. And God answered him. And that's, that's beautiful to me. If you don't know the Lord's voice, if you don't know how to engage that, there's a couple different ways. we got a Bible study on the River Encounter page. We can, we, it's a beautiful Bible study. We can take you through that. It doesn't take much of commitment. Sit down with our pastors and talk to them what that looks like. Because having God's voice in your situation is going to change the dynamic of the outcome. It's not just you going to battle. It's God going to battle on your behalf. It's going to change everything about the way you do things because you're following his rules. You're following him into that battle. And that's how David knew and could write Psalms 144. It wasn't just David picking up Psalms 144 and saying, oh, great, how God are you, and you're a beautiful God, and I love you. It was David who knew what God was. It was David who knew who God was for him that allowed him to come into, first, into 144 and say, you're my shield. You're the guy I take refuge in. And there's another thing there. He says, you train my hands for war. Some of the things we go through is God training our hands for war. We think it's a hard time. We think it's a bad time. And it's just you getting some training on your fingers because you're about to go into battle and you're going to need that. Your kids are going to need that. They're going to know that if they get down on their knees and pray, that a plague is taken off your generations. And that's how David's here praying. And it's a, it's a beautiful thing because it's not just David 
just praying, God, help me, God, help me, God, help me. It's God, it's David also going to God and building up some strength in here. He knows what God has done for him. He knows how God has helped him fight because he lived his whole life on a battlefield. And so it's not just a prayer of God, help me. It's a prayer of God, you've helped me to forward, do it again. We sing that all the time, right? Oh God, do it again. This is David in 144 saying, you know, building up strength, building up and reminding himself of just what God has done for him. We get into these hard spots and we forget. You know, all of a sudden we hear a screech in the darkness and we go running towards it and we forget that God can do some things. That God can do some things because he goes before us and he watches over us. Just like in Psalms 23 where it says, the Lord is my shepherd. David learned that. And he learned that if he could just remember some things, he's going to be successful on that battlefield. Now, what does it mean to be successful on the battlefield? What does it mean to engage God in your battles? Or we, we, we tell people the battle belongs to the Lord. We tell people, be silent and let God fight your battles. We, we, we tell people, because these are all Bible verses, right? So we encourage ourselves with those Bible verses. What does that look like? We pick, up this, uh, we pick it up here in 144, verse 8. David prays this. Bow your heavens, O Lord, and come down. Touch the mountains that they may smoke. Flash forth lightning and scatter them. Send out your arrows and confuse them. Stretch forth your hand from on high. Rescue me and deliver me out of the great waters, out of the hands of the aliens, whose mouth speak deceit and whose right hand is the right hand of falsehood. That's what it looks like. When you enact God into your prayers and you ask him to take out the enemy, that's what it looks like. He scatters them. He sends forth lightning. Now, this is going to hurt some of our religious feelings, but this is David praying against his enemies. And we got to be real careful with this, but this is David praying against his enemies. Because we're taught, and this is something I struggled with, we're taught turn the other cheek, right? We're taught give the enemy a cup of, a cup of cold water, right? We're told to love our enemies. And here's David praying against them. So how do we figure that out? John Eldridge has a great ministry up in Colorado, he and his wife, uh, Stacy. Women, if you can do anything for your men, and I haven't read the women's book, so forgive me, uh, but, I, but I, I'm kind of a guy, so I'm sorry. But <laughs> Get your man a John Eldridge book. I mean, whatever you've got to do to get that in their hands and get them to read that, do it, because it's going to save you, him. Because we, 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 I learned this weekend, we've got some poor examples as fathers. I'm sometimes a poor example. We don't know how to be men sometimes. And we try and forgive us for when we fail. But we got to get some better examples. And John Eldridge has this great, uh, this great series, but I, I digress. But in this whole thing about praying for your enemies, John Eldridge says, a man can't learn to turn the other cheek until he has the strength to turn, to turn that other cheek. He's got to learn how to fight some battles before he realizes that he's man enough to turn the other cheek. He's got to get into some phrase and realize who God is for him. And that's what David's done. He's got into some phrase, and he's realized what David's done for him so he can turn the other cheek. Here's another thing, and, and I mean, we got to be very careful with this, be very careful with this. Sometimes your enemies are God's enemies. I mean, if we're being honest, there's a world out there that's crazy, and how we react to that is kind of the rebellion. But we got to realize and be very careful with it. Please be very careful with it. Sometimes our enemies are his enemies. And here's another thing. Once you give that to God, you don't have any enemies. 
Once you act, act God in your prayers, it doesn't matter what they say to you. It doesn't matter if they call you chicken. It doesn't matter if they cuss you out. It doesn't matter what they do in the boardrooms, if they try to cheat you, if they embezzle money. If they're taking your money, not paying you fair, you don't have any enemies. You've given them to God. Once you give them to God, I can walk in a whole other way. Say what you want to. This is how I behave. This is what my Bible teaches me about how I behave. God's going to take care of that situation, and I'm going to do what I've been called to do, and I'm going to walk in it. Because this is what matters. It doesn't matter what he thinks of me. It doesn't matter what she thinks of me, because I'm letting God control the situation. You don't have any enemies anymore. And that's a pretty cool place to walk. I mean, that is a beautiful place to walk. If we jump down to verse 9, we sing songs like, this is how I fight my battles. The idea of praising God in my storms. What does that look like? Here's David, verse 9. I will sing a new song to you, O God, upon a harp of ten strings. I will sing praises to you. Here's David singing in his battles. Here's David in this prayer, once again, asking God to train his fingers for war, but it's also him singing our songs. He had a choir of a thousand people that went out before them. It was something that they carried on a tradition for in Israel that they would send the choir out. And, and I mean, can you imagine sending our marching band out before us on the football field to fight the battles for us? I mean, they might get hit a little too hard, but that's what they did. And they won battles constantly, time after time after time, because that's how they engaged. They believe in praising God would bring them victory. And notice here, because we get a I don't know how to put words together, or I don't know how to rhyme, or I don't even, some of us don't know how to clap very good. I'm, I'm bad at that, I get off. And so uh, notice here, David's not getting very poetic. He's not getting very technical. I mean, he says, I will sing a new song to you upon a harp of, I mean, that, that's not very poetic at all. That's not how Bray puts words together. I mean, this is King David. It doesn't have to be beautiful. It doesn't have to be perfect. It's just got to be you engaging God in a way that the, he's asked you to do it, but a way that also will confuse the enemies. He gets a little poetic there. He says, who gives salvation to kings. Who rescues David, his servant, from the evil sword? Rescue me and deliver me out of the hands of aliens, whose mouth speaks deceit and whose right hand is the hand of falsehood. I think part of what David's doing here is he's reminding himself that he's the king. The buck stops here. I'm the guy who has to lead these guys in the battle. He's not just, you know, singing, praying to God about, hey, you know, save your king. He's also reminding himself, this is who I am. This is who you called me to be. But he's also reminding God, God, I'm your servant. Remember your servant. You'll see that a lot of times in the Bible. Remember your servant. We're down here fighting this battle. It's not that God's forgotten you. Sometimes we just forget that he's with us. And we got to pick that up and realize that he's right beside us helping us fight those battles. And it's kind of interesting. This is the second time that David talks about people who speak deceits and falsehood. I mean, how rampant is that in our world? David fought the same thing. I mean, this is, what, 3,000 years ago? David fought the same thing we fought today. People lying about us. People not knowing the truth. And here's David back then still having the same problem. Realize you're not alone. Realize God has been fighting this battle with David and with you all these years. And it's something we're going to continue to embrace because the light pushes out the darkness. Until his kingdom come. Until he comes back again, it's something we're going to have to constantly battle through. 
And the war is a battlefield. And we'll talk a little bit more about that next week. I'd like to share some recaps of Red River with you next week because we learned some good stuff up there. But realize there's things going on that we just have to battle through. And also realize that if there's things going on that we just constantly have to battle through, there's also a constant God who's going to battle with you and for you. I mean, that's what David's doing here in this song, reminding himself once again of all the times that God's walked with him through these places. This is another one of those verses next, starting in verse 12, that's going to shake some of the religiosity off of us. David's praying for wealth. He's praying for prosperity. He says, Let our sons in their youth be as grown-up plants, and our daughters as corner pillars fashioned for a palace. Let our garners be full, furnishing every kind of produce. I didn't know what a garner was, but apparently that's like a kitchen cabinet, a bank account. So David's asking for his bank account and his kitchen cabinets to be full. He says, Let our garners be full, furnishing every kind of produce, and our flocks bring forth thousands and ten thousands. Let our cattle bear without mishap and without loss. Let there be no outcry in our streets. How blessed are people who are so situated. David is asking for the moon. Do you get that? It's not just let our flocks bring forth thousands. He says, God, let my flocks bring forth ten thousands. He's not saying, just let me get food on the table this week, God. He's saying, let my cabinets be full of food. He's not just praying, let my kids be healthy. He's asking God, let my daughters be beautiful and let them be wise enough to hold up the house to be pillars in my house. He's asking for his little children to be so grown up that they provide shelter for other people. I mean, he's asking for, it's not just, oh God, oh God, help me. He's asking for the moon. I mean, go ahead and pray for the lottery. That's between you and God. Ask for it. God may give it to you. I don't know. That's between you and God. But realize he can answer our prayers. David was famous for saying, my my God has a cattle on a thousand hills. Ask for it we got to get to a place where we believe that God's going to provide for us. It's a place that I struggle with constantly because the bills get tied or people need shoes or clothes. And I, and I think, how am I going to provide all this? I'm going to put it back on God. I'm going to ask God, God, I really need this. And I'm not talking about driving a Beamer down or uh, one of those nice new Corvettes they got driving down the middle of Panhandle. I'm talking, I may ask for that. I don't know, but I'm talking, let my kids be successful and let them be beautiful and let them be wise. Let them provide shelters for others. Here's another thing. He says, let there be no outcry in our streets. David knew that the provision God was giving him, the the 10,000 cattle, were going to provide for other people. That if you bless me, I can bless others with that. I can provide for others. Because that's what a king does. That's who you are. To the people around you. To To the to the to your wife, to your children. That's who you are. You are a king in your household. And it doesn't matter if you're a man or a woman, a queen, king, same thing. When God's talking, because he doesn't see it that way. God sees us as his beautiful answer to this planet and what it needs to survive. He sees you as a solution to whatever problem's out there. And if we're going by David's standards, you're going to win the battle because he's training your hands for war. He's training your hands to fight those battles. Sometimes we just got to hear his voice. And so I encourage you, take some of these Bible studies. Get down and learn how to hear his voice if you don't. Now here's a switch on you. 
Here's a switch that I had had to learn about a couple weeks ago. What about if the enemy's me? What if I'm the enemy of my soul? What if I'm the one that God needs to straighten out if things are going to get right? This verse helps you. This verse brings you into alignment with a God who can straighten out you so that you can get right, so the world around you can get right. Because sometimes we're our own worst enemies. And I want God to scatter that out of me. I don't want to be my own enemy. I don't want to be an enemy of his. I want to be what he sent me to be. I want to be the solution. And I can't do that if I've still got places in here that need to be ripped out. If I've got selfishness, envy, pride, lust, i got to get that out of there. And that's the reason why these retreats are so important, because I can go up there and I can sit with God without distraction. It's not like we were sitting around the bonfire with bonbons and champagne. I mean, we were doing some work, and it, it hurt. But that's okay, because just like building muscles, if I start tearing on those muscles, guess what? They're going to build more muscles on top of the muscles. I'm going to get some strength on me because I engage God in that way. And so as you go through this verse, realize, if I'm my own worst enemy, I want God to do what this verse says in me so that I can be successful out there. I want to be right in here so that out there I'm not wrong. Not that I have to be right all the time. I mean, It's just that I have to be the best I can for God if this place is going to be the best it can be. And so it's a hard thing to look at, but it's the rebellion, right? I, I don't want to live life. And there's nothing new under the sun. Whatever they're asking out there, I mean, do that. If that makes you happy and that's going to bring you life, you think, I, that's not me. That's not who I am. I'm going to walk in this way. If you think that attitude or something like that's going to be different for you, do that. This is how I'm going to walk, and I'm going to be an example of how God, and look, and look how he ends that verse. He says, how blessed are people who are so situated. How blessed are the people whose God is the Lord. It's just like in Psalms 23, where he says, for my name's sake, I'm your shepherd. Or it's just like in Deuteronomy 28, where he says, for my name's sake, I'm going to bless you in this way. I like to call the worship band up. God wants to love on us. He wants to provide for us. He wants to get us into places. And we can get in some hard places. I mean, we can. I mean, I, I can mess up a good time easy, get down in my feelings, and, and cause a little chaos in God's world that he has to help me sort out. And that's okay, because he's going to. There's a lot of people in this congregation dealing with things I don't even know about, people you're praying about that you don't know what's going on. You just know you need to pray about them. This is what Psalms was created for. This is David. And realize he's not just praying about his enemy. He's not just praying for him. He's also praying for others. He says, let there be no outcry in our streets. It's not just David against the world. His people have to advance if we're going to get this thing done. I I can't tell you enough. They can do what they want to, but I'm going to live my life the way I know how to. They can cuss at me. They can lie to me. They can cheat on me. They, they, whatever they want to do is fine, but this is, this is where the rubber meets the road is when I put conviction on what I believe. When I say that I'm going to pray for you, 
I better be praying for you, you're right? I mean, there's times when we can start to feel alone on the battlefield. Remind yourself that God is with you out there. Remind yourself that he's gone before you. Remind yourself that he's done it before and he's going to do it again. Start singing a song in your heart. Once again, it doesn't have to be pretty. It's just got to be, oh God, I recognize you and I love you and thank you for loving me and save your servant. I mean, it doesn't have to be anything pretty. It just starts with you engaging in the battle in a way that's totally different. Because if we put our trust in him, it says hope in him does not disappoint. And David's a living example of that. David fought tons of battles, and here he is. And this, this Psalms 144 is towards the end of Psalms. So I'm just assuming here that it's kind of a consistent thing where David learned that God is going to help him fight his battles, and he's going to provide. And it's a different way of living. I mean, if you were to walk out on the streets... And say, you know what, honey, I think we're going to sell this uh, stock because God told me we're going to sell this stock and we're going to invest in this stock. My wife might look at me a little, I mean, my wife won't because she knows me and we go to church here. But in a normal person, they might say, well, what God are you talking to? Are you crazy? We're going to run a whole company off of what you think God told you? People might call you crazy. They might look at you a little funny. But if you've fought that battle before, I mean, ask Ask the Bertrands, how, ask them how many times they've gone to God and they've run their company based off of that way. Or ask the Brandovics the same thing. How many times have they gone to God and saw success because it didn't make sense in the world, but it made sense in their relationship with God. In your own marriage, we're taught to be men and to stand up and beat our chest and the world has weird pictures of what a man should be. What happens if we sit down and wash our wife's feet? What happens if we go ahead and do the dishes? Because it's not the woman's job. It's just a household that we have to run. Those are all things that we bring to the table when we walk a little bit different because it matters. Because it matters in a different way because our generations depend on it. If you don't know that Lord and Savior, we always invite you to come and speak with us about it. If there's something you want to pray about it, We'd be glad to meet you down here and pray with you. But just know that you matter. You're the answer to the solution in Groom, McLean, Fritch, Panhandle, Amarillo, wherever you're at. You're the solution that God has put in that place. And how you engage in that battle is going to mean the world of a difference for not only you, but the people around you. Because David became so successful as a king that they use gold as pavement in their streets. Could you imagine that much money flowing around? I mean, that's better than the COVID money they were passing out. I mean, everybody had some gold. And that's how God blessed David. And he wants to bless you too. Not just financially, but also in your health, in your marriage, and in your future for generations to come. Thank you all for coming and thank you for the opportunity. And that's this week's message. We hope that you are encouraged and inspired. If you would like to join our online campus and experience the service as it happens live, go follow us on Facebook or YouTube by searching The River in Panhandle, Texas. Have an amazing and blessed week.